Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Hallelujah. Can anybody testify? I'd rather be in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. Amen. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you again to everyone. I know it's been a busy week. A lot going on around the church this week. Good stuff. We've got a lot of, I believe, good direction God has given us. Amen. Great things God is doing within the church. And uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Amen. I want to teach uh, a little bit tonight. Amen. And I've been so blessed by the ministry of our many of these young ministers that have been coming uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And I know throughout the month of July, we're going to be blessed by some of our young ladies that are going to be ministering. Amen. And uh, we've got some amazing, incredible uh, young people in our church. All right. One voice of confirmation. The rest of you, the jury's still out for you. I think we have some amazing young people in our church. Amen. Again, I know they're not perfect, but they love God, and they're here. Most of them, it doesn't look like they were forced to be here. It looked like they're here and and want to be here, and I'm thankful for that. It's not the case in every church. Amen. That's a result of great homes and great parents and also great youth ministry. Josh and Jess, I know, have worked hard to uh, create a great youth ministry, of course. The Simpkins before them worked to create a great environment, and they just have carried that on. And so, very thankful for that, uh, that, that just rich uh, upbringing and, and great source we have. The future of this church, I believe, is bright because of what God is doing in our younger generations. Amen? Amen. Genesis chapter number 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that it was, that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, that she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Amen. And from these eight verses, I want to talk to us a little bit tonight about the first two questions in the Bible. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. The first two questions in the Bible. I've been taught and believe that 
every doctrine in the Bible you'll find in the book of Genesis. Amen. Every doctrine in the Bible you'll find in the book of Genesis and probably because it is the origin of uh, the beginning of our relate of humanity and God our relationship because it's the book of beginnings this is not the first time that you've heard teaching or preaching from Genesis chapter 3 won't be the last time you hear preaching and teaching and there's so many different even from these eight verses that I read there's so many different principles and things that I've heard expounded upon over the years just maybe a few of the highlights in my mind that stand out you know in previous to this we know that it was before God had taken uh, from the rib and formed the woman that he had given to Adam the commandment that you're not to eat of this one specific tree and now so in other words Eve wasn't there during this instruction that was given and so as we read here and now the, the serpent is questioning the woman the inference there can be that whatever instruction Eve was given had been given by Adam Adam had said look Eve we we're, we're not going to eat of that fruit and and there's different ways that we can look at that but at when when the, the serpent questioned and said, you know, are, are you able to, uh, you, that you're not able to eat of any of the fruit? She says, no, just this one tree, we're not to eat of it or to touch it. There's different ways we can look at that, but I think the way that I've heard it expounded upon that I think is a great principle is Adam said, you know what, if we can't eat of it, we're not even going to get close to it. Amen, that's great leadership for your home. Amen, don't flirt with sin, don't flirt with the devil. Amen, because it always ends up where Eve ends up, right? When we flirt with the devil, when we, when we start touching the fruit, it's not long before we eat the fruit. Anyway, just so many great principles that come from this passage. And, and, and I want to again tonight talk for just a little bit tonight on the first two questions of the Bible. And I have always been taught that the best way to gain knowledge is to ask questions. To have an inquisitive mind, to have an inquisitive approach a curious approach to life if you would there are statements that validate this this understanding that I have one one statement is the only dumb question is the one you don't now my wife is not a believer in that statement there have been many times where she's told me that that's not true I've heard a lot of dumb questions I've heard some questions that it would have been better off if people didn't ask them and I and I have to agree with her that probably I've been the source of some of those questions. But anyhow, she's probably watching tonight, so I'm going to move on. So, so I, but I have learned that the best way to grow is to possess a curious mind, to always be open and willing to learn more. And I believe we can learn from everybody. Sometimes we learn what not to do. Amen. Some people, I watch them and I say, that's exactly what I don't ever want to do. But I'm still learning from them. Thank you for being... You don't know where you fall in this, but thank you for being a source of education for me. And, and there obviously are other people that you watch them and you, you learn from them and you want, you want to follow in their footsteps and you watch the way they have parented their children, the way they, and they, the way they kind of interact with their spouse. And, and you, you say, you know what, that's the, that's the kind of husband I want to be. That's the kind of parent that I want to be. And so we learn when we have an open mind and we're willing to ask questions. There are questions in the Bible that, we are instructed to ask that lead us to uncertain growth. They, they, they bring us to unprecedented growth, but we've got to be willing to ask some of these questions. And some of them, such as, 
in Romans 8, 31, the Bible says this question here, what then shall we say to these things? That's a great question, which leads to powerful revelation. When you ask that question, the answer is this, if God before us, who can be against us? But you only get to that answer if you're willing to ask that question, amen? And so there are questions in the Bible that when we ask these questions and when we see these questions in the Scripture, they lead us to incredible revelation. The question of David, the shepherd boy, when he asks his brothers and the soldiers gathered around, is there not a cause? What was the result of that question? David steps out onto a battlefield armed with just a a sling and five smooth stones and brings down a God-defying giant named Goliath. Why? It all started with a question. Somebody asking the question, is there not a cause? It was the concerned requisition of King Nebuchadnezzar to his advisors when he asked them, did not we throw three into this furnace that led Nebuchadnezzar to a revelation of who the fourth man in the fire is when he said he's like the Son of God. Amen. But you've got to be willing in the middle of your fiery situation, you've got to be willing to ask some questions that will lead you to a revelation of a God that is greater than you thought he was before you went into the furnace. Amen. I know people that God has done miracles and they don't even see the miracle. God has brought them through things, but they never stop to ask the question, well, what about what God did in my life? They never stop to consider that God appeared in the middle of a fiery furnace, and that brings revelation. Or the voice of King Darius calling into the den of lions, and he asked Daniel, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you from the lions? And it was this question that led to King Darius putting forth a decree that the entire kingdom, he said, will tremble and fear the God of Daniel. But that decree never would have come without a question by the king. Or the question of the multitude outside of the upper room when they asked, what shall we do? That led to the apostle Peter standing and saying, I'm so glad you asked me. And then he pulled the keys of the kingdom out of his pocket and said, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. Everyone in this building right now, how many of you have repented of your sins? How many of you have been baptized in Jesus' name and been filled? You need to thank those men that asked that question because it gave revelation in the scripture because somebody was willing to ask a question. The question of Nicodemus, how can a man be born again? It was to this question that Jesus responded. Tell me, what did he say? You got to be born again of the, how do you know? Because Nicodemus asked a question. Every one of us in this room tonight are recipients of revelation because Nicodemus was willing to ask a question. Every one of you that's been baptized in water in the name of Jesus, you better say thank you to Nicodemus because he asked you a question that brought revelation down to earth. Amen. Powerful questions that opened the door to unparalleled and unprecedented revelation. But while there is unlimited revelation that can be gained and obtained by asking right questions, there is also another side of the coin when it comes to asking questions. While asking questions, while question asking and seeking understanding and growth, 
will lead to revelation. The enemy also understands that there is another line of questioning that will lock you into a prison of paralysis, as they say, by analysis. Amen. It's not all just questions that lead you to growth. There are other lines of questioning that will lead you to never grow again. Amen. There is a line of questioning that if you're not careful, you can you can slip into a way of thinking and a way of questioning everything good that God wants to do in your life, everything good that God has done, even where you begin to question the very goodness of God out of a cynical questioning mind. A posture of cynicism and suspicion that will stunt your growth and halt your spiritual progress. I don't know, maybe it's only me in this room, but there are times where I see things in the Scripture and my flesh will begin to question, do I really have to do that? All right, three or four of you have been there. Is that really necessary? Anybody ever shared with somebody revelation in the Bible and their response is, is that really necessary? Do we really have to do all of that? Can I tell you, that's a dangerous line of questioning that will stunt your growth and make sure that you never progress in your walk with God. The enemy knows if he can get you into a questioning posture, there is no limit to the deceptive lies that you will listen to and the toxic poison that you will ingest. From such origin come the first question posed in the Bible. It's not a question that's asked by an eager disciple. It's not, quest, it's not a question posed by Adam seeking to draw closer to God. No, the first question in the Bible is posed by the very serpent, Satan himself. We find in Genesis chapter 3, first verse, the Bible tells us the serpent was more subtle. Amen. How many of you know what subtle means? I wasn't asking you to look at your spouse. Subtle means sneaky. Amen. Crafty. Sly. Amen. What they're doing is not really, there's more motive behind what they're doing. They're, they're, they're sneaky about what they do. The Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto woman, here it is, the first question, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman responds to the serpent. The, the question doesn't end with that question mark in your Bible. This entire portion of scripture, the question is continuing. And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The devil's not done with his question. It didn't end with the punctuation of a question mark at the end of verse 1, but he picks back up in verse number 4, and still a line of questioning. The serpent says to the woman, you shall not die. What's he doing? He's causing Eve to question God. God doesn't know what he's talking about. You're not going to die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And he goes on and then the Bible tells us that the woman sees the fruit and sees now that it's good. So here in the first book of the Bible, the third chapter, and the very first verse, we find the first question. If I could call it the doctrine of deceptive questions, you'll find them throughout the Bible. We find the first question. However, the intention and the tone of the entirety of the first five verses, the question is continuing. Because the entire purpose of the first five verses of Genesis 3 
were, to, were for this purpose, and that is to bring the goodness of God into question. The enemy may have punctuated his question, but in Eve's mind, the question was continuing. In Eve's mind, the, the question was continuing to grow. This was no longer just about what God said. Now it was about why God said it. Uh, now it was about what was God really trying to keep her from. Uh, now there was a bigger question going on. Uh, amen. This is the first question in the Bible, and it is a spirit of deception. But he used the logic of a question to open the door to a, a spirit of deception that completely transformed Eve's perception about how she saw God and how she saw sin. In five verses, Eve saw everything 180 degrees different. Some people say 360. That wouldn't be accurate. Then you're right back where you started. So 180 degrees different. Somebody say, well, I'm 360 degrees different. Well, then you're just the same. All right? I'm 180 different. Eve sees things completely the opposite. When she steps into verse 3, she believes that God is good and he has the best for her. And she believes that the fruit on the tree is evil. By the time she gets to verse 5, because a question of the enemy, she now believes that God is evil and the fruit is good. That's what a spirit of deception will do. It will transform the way that you see the things of God. It will begin to transform some of you, if you're not careful listening to the wrong voices, you'll begin to wonder, is God really for you? And you'll begin to see sin and the things of this world as good. It's happened, it's happened to many people. Don't think that you're bigger than a spirit of deception. Well, I'm too spiritual for deception. You're not. Now, there's some principles we're going to share tonight that will protect you, but there have been a lot of people that once stood at this altar and said God is good all the time, and today they wonder if God is good at all. And there were people that stood at this altar and confessed sin and repented of sin and said God saved me from the iniquity of sin that are right now out there in this world, and they believe sin is the best thing in this world. What appeared to be a line of spiritual enlightenment was really nothing more than spiritual enchantment. It looked the enemy more, the light came on. I see, I've never seen the way I see before. What it was was deception. It says, you will not die, you will be as gods. And you're going to know good and evil. And through one question, the very thing that used to look like death and destruction, Eve takes another look, and now that tree is good, pleasant, and desirable. Those are the adjectives that Eve uses to describe the tree after the question of the enemy, good, pleasant, and desirable. It used to be death, destruction. We don't even touch that. But by the time the question got through filtering through her mind, it's good, pleasant, and desirable. Be careful what questions you allow to linger in your mind. Be careful what accusation you allow the enemy to plant in your mind that causes you to question the goodness of God, that causes you to question the goodness of the people of God, that causes you to question the validity of spiritual authority in your life because if you're not careful, by the time you get done, your adjectives will be turned around. Amen. Why am I confronting this First question in the Bible, why am I addressing a spirit of deception on a Wednesday night? Well, it's probably the best time to do it if we're going to do it, first of all. But I'm teaching this tonight because we're in a time that the Bible tells us is going to be a time of spiritual deception. Turn, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 24. 
Amen. Matthew chapter 24. Last night, Brother Sanchez apologized for preaching too short, and I might have to follow that up tonight. I don't know how. Uh, everybody's just got a smile on your face. I saw those look. I don't know how, how long I'm going to. I say that, and I'll probably go an hour longer, and you all are really going to be mad then. Amen. But Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 21, says, For then shall be, this is Jesus speaking, shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. Except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's saved, that's the chosen. Amen. How many of you believe in this room are the elect tonight? Amen. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been, you are the elect. You've been elected. You've been chosen. Nobody comes unless the spirit, you've been chosen by God. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, lo, there is Christ, or there believe it not. Listen, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. When is it talking about in this last day? In the last day that I believe we're stepping into right now, I believe we're walking into what Jesus Christ was speaking to the crowd that was gathered this day. He says, for there will arise false Christ. Now, how many of you know, it goes on and says false prophets. How many of you know these false prophets aren't wearing signs that say false prophet? Right? It's not like they're getting up there, hey, everybody, I'm a false prophet. I want to greet you right now. That's not what they're doing. They're appearing as the real deal. And they will show great signs and wonders. Insomuch, listen, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. There is coming a spirit of deception in this last hour. And there's going to be good people that love God. Amen. That are going to be deceived sitting on, on pews and, and chairs in, in sanctuaries. Even right now, maybe people in this building that if you're not careful, you will be deceived because the false prophets and the false Christs are going to come and they're going to do signs and wonders in so much that the very elect will be deceived. It didn't say they should. It said they shall deceive the very elect. Spirit of deception 1 Timothy 2, verse 13 and 14 tells us that Adam was first formed and then Eve, but Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. What Eve was dealing with in the garden when Lucifer, when the serpent, when Satan slipped her that first question, half got said, and then began to plant in her mind a questioning of how good God was and was God just trying to keep things from her that were really going to be a blessing. What Eve was dealing with in the garden was a spirit of deception. Amen? The first question in the Bible unleashed a spirit of deception that left Adam naked and afraid. I know they thought they got that in the show lately, but that was long before... TV came out with a program called Naked and Afraid. Eve, Adam and Eve were naked and afraid back in Genesis. A spirit of deception left Adam and Eve naked and afraid, hiding from their creator, running from the very voice of God. And the spirit of deception did not disappear. It's not like after Eve ate that fruit and then gave it to Adam and he ate, 
that the devil packed up his bag and said, I won. No, what he did is said, I am going to begin perfecting this. Amen, because I believe that the enemy also knew there's a last day coming. And he knew that the passage of Scripture, he knew there's going to come a day where there's going to be some elect people sitting on, on pews in churches. They're going to love God. They're going to love the things of God. And so I've got to perfect my deceptive ways because I've got to deceive as many as I can. Deception didn't stop when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. It didn't stop when they got kicked out of the garden. It didn't stop. It carried right on to their children, Cain and Abel. It carried on to generations after them. And for 2003, however long, the enemy has been perfecting his deceptive spirit. Oh, I see it happen in the church all the time. Somebody looks at you a certain way or didn't look at you a certain way or shook your hand a certain way. Or didn't shake your hand a certain way. Oh, there the devil is in your head. Well, I know why they didn't shake my hand. I, I know why pastor didn't hug my neck. I know. I saw him intentionally walk the other way. The devil's lying to you right now. But the enemy, you see, you, you think, well, I've been living 40 years. I've been living 50 years. I'm why the devil's been living a lot longer than you have. And he's been perfecting a spirit of deception. The Bible says he is the acute. And half the things right now in this church that people might be offended over aren't even real. It's the enemy that's planted stuff in your mind. Why? Because he's working to deceive the very elect. They don't really hate you. They don't dislike you. And you don't really know the full story. If you did, you'd know the very offense you're harboring is foolishness. He's been perfecting his questions since the day that Eve looked at what would destroy her and said it looks good. So for a few minutes tonight, I want to speak to the very elect. I'm going to do some pastoral talk tonight. I don't even know what that means, but my dad said it before he really hunkered down a little bit, amen, and, and shook the corn, I think, shuck the corn, I think is how he would say it. I don't even know what that means, but he, he would say that too right before he started really getting into it. Amen, those that have been, I want, I want to talk to the elect tonight, those that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. In fact, I'm going to say this, that as the pastor, there are things that I know and there are things that I feel. There are things that I see happening and things that I sense happening. Amen. Things that I believe every time the church gets ready to go into a season of revival, strange spirits start showing up. Amen. Spirits start coming. And spirits, people, all right, I'm just going to tell you the truth. Spirits, I don't see spirits, but I do see spirits manifesting themselves in people. Amen. Spirits begin to manifest themselves, and I, I see some of it, and I sense some of it. And so tonight I want to help the elect tonight because I don't want you to be deceived in this season. Amen. I don't want you to be deceived by the enemy. I don't want you to start looking at what is evil and saying it's good. I, I don't want you to begin to buy into the lie of the devil that says, is God really good? Let me settle that for you right now. God is good and he wants the best for you. If he told you something on the tree isn't good, stay away from the tree. God's not trying to keep you from anything except for pain, sorrow, and suffering. Well, God just doesn't want me to have fun. That is a spirit of deception. And now, here's some of the admonition. I guess that's what I'd call it, admonition, that will keep us from falling prey to the first question in the Bible. 
And I find that the progression of these questions, all, always this, this, these deceptive questions always follows the same track or the same path. It's a spirit of deception that is veiled beneath the question that seems worthy of our consideration. There's nothing wrong with, I guess, Satan asking Eve what God said. That seems like a harmless question. But it was just a veiled question that caused her to pause for just a moment. That's all the enemy does is need you to pause for just a moment. And then underneath that veil, it seems like a valid question. It seems like something where, you know, and it, it comes into our minds. You know, did that person not shake my hand? It seems like a valid question to ask ourselves. But really, it's just the veil. And beneath that veil, the enemy comes behind it with an uppercut. The serpent in the garden hath God said. In Exodus, it was Miriam and Aaron who asked what seems to be a valid question. Hath the Lord indeed spoken by Moses? Hasn't he also spoken by us? Can't we be used of God too? That was the question. Doesn't seem like a bad question. I hope all of you feel like you can be used of God. Absalom in the gates of the city. He, he makes a statement, but really what he's doing is placing a question in the minds of the people. He, said, he says to the people, and all this sounds so good. We're living in a world today that is using veiled questions. We're living in a world today that comes across as so compassionate. I mean, if you preach against sin, you are, you're a hateful. You're a, you're a phobe of this and a phobe of that. You're a, that's hate speech. And I don't believe we're too far from when they're going to begin making those actually illegal to preach in our pulpits. But we're not going to stop preaching that even when they make it illegal. Because it's not hate. It's not hate. It's not hate to tell somebody that sin will destroy you. Amen? But it, it veils itself. So, so Absalom, he says to the men that are gathered in the gates of the city, he says, man, your, your matters are good and right. But, the, but there's no man that the king has put in charge to hear you. So he poses that a phrase, but really the question he was presenting is, does the king even care about you? That was the question. Now, he, didn't, he wouldn't come right out and say that because he'd probably, you know, be getting hanged in the gallows by the end of the day if he would have come out and said it. But he posed it as a statement, presenting a question in their mind, does the king even care about you? And behind the veil of a seemingly harmless question comes an uppercut of deception. And so I want everybody in this building to be able to recognize when the spirit of deception shows up. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and 24 that false Christs and false prophets are going to show up. They're going to walk into churches. Everybody hearing me right now? Well, they wouldn't come to Living Hope. Yep, 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 they will. They'll show up doing great signs and wonders. I think we have the misconception that it's going to be easy to identify these workers of deception. I don't... Years ago when Jacob's Well was the Bible bookstore in town, they had a series of, uh, of um, biblical comic books. And my parents, I think, bought me every one in that series to keep me out of the other comic books. And I would read them. But it was always, looking back on it, humorous to me because the, the Antichrist and false prophets always ran around with 666 tattooed on their forehead. I'm like, how did you not see that guy was bad? He had a big, like, 666 tattooed on his forehead. Well, guess what? False prophets aren't going to walk into our churches with 666 tattooed on their foreheads. They're going to walk into church and they're going to stand at the front and clap their hands and they're going to dance and they're going to shout and they're going to speak in tongues. 
Well, they didn't have a 666 on their forehead. How was I supposed to know? To have some spiritual discernment, that's how we're going to know. They're going to appear. The Bible says they're going to do powerful, mighty work. So much so that the very elect are going to be deceived. If what you're looking for is just signs and wonders, miracles and great exploits, if that's all that a walk with God is to you, you're going to be deceived in this hour. Amen. You've got to have a walk with God that goes deeper than miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm for those things. Here we go. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to dig down a little bit and help you with how we can keep from being deceived. First thing, first way that we're going to know is they come out of the gate working to elevate their spiritual status. In the garden, Miriam and Aaron, Absalom, and we could go on. They come out of the gate wanting to make themselves appear more spiritual. And they do that there's two ways to accomplish this. Usually they're, they're done simultaneously or maybe one after the other. Firstly, they tear down the existing spiritual structure in your life. All right, Eve comes into the garden. Man, I trust God. Trust my husband. He said, stay away. Don't, don't, don't touch the tree. Don't eat it. That's my spiritual authority. It's in alignment. And what, is, what does the serpent do? He totally tears it down. You can't trust God. Does, does God even know what he's talking about? First thing he does is tear down existing spiritual structure. And then secondly, right on top of that or simultaneous to that, this, that spirit of deception wants to impress you with their spiritual prowess. God doesn't know what he's doing, but I've got a revelation for you. Your pastor doesn't really know what he's doing, but, but if I were the pastor, I've, I've got some spiritual revelation that, that I'm going to share with you like nothing you've ever heard before. They come out of the gate working to elevate their spiritual status. The serpent in the garden convinced Eve that God was withholding something good from her, bringing God down, and simultaneously convincing her that he is the authority on matters. God doesn't know what he's talking about, but let me tell you, the reality is that you're going to be wise, you're going to be his gods, and you're going to know good and evil. He tears down God and exalts himself. And that is how the spirit of deception works. It will walk into a church, and it will tear down the existing spiritual structure and exalt itself in the place of the existing spiritual structure. Aaron, Aaron and Miriam were... Angry that God, or not that God, that Moses, God didn't marry anybody. Moses did. He married an Ethiopian woman. And so they attacked his validity as the mouthpiece of God. They were tearing Moses down. Moses isn't the only person. What they were really doing is through racism and bigotry, they were tearing Miriam, they were tearing Moses down. And they questioned, is, can Moses even be trusted to speak to God's people. That's what they were doing. They were bringing Moses down. And simultaneously the question is, can't we hear from God just like Moses does? So let's tear down the existing spiritual authority and let's exalt ourselves now as the true spiritual authority. Quiet here tonight. I don't know. I don't know what shucking the corn is supposed to feel like. Absalom stands in the gate and criticizing the king. The king's too busy. He doesn't even have a delegate here. You guys have good questions. You have 
matters that are worthy of being heard. And the king is too busy. He doesn't even have a delegate here to hear you. Simultaneously, he is. the Bible says he is winning the hearts of the people. He's winning the affection by promoting himself, saying, if I were the king... If I were the king, I would make sure that every question you had were being answered. So he's tearing down existing spiritual structure and elevating himself as the true spiritual structure. I want to help somebody here tonight because the Bible tells us that Satan is the master of disguise. I've been around long enough to know that the devil is seeking to divide and conquer. He'll come into the church, he'll clap his hands, he'll sing, he'll dance. Again, I believe the devil will even speak in tongues. I don't know. I might be blaspheming that one. I don't know. But I'll tell you, people with devils in them will come into the church and do those things. But the telltale sign that you're dealing with the devil is that the devil will always try to impress you with how spiritual he is or she. It ain't just a he. There she is too. You, you need, I, I, am a, I am a this, I am a that, I'm a... It, mm, blah, 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 blah. I'll just tell you this. When somebody introduces me and the first word out of their mouth is I'm bishop so-and-so or I'm prophet thus and thus, a prophetess, so on and so forth, apostle this, apostle that. It, here's what makes I want to gag. I, I'm Jason. That's who I am, Jason. Now, I'm not, I'm not against, obviously, there, there is a place we need to give honor to people. And, and, and certainly, I, I'm, I'm talking about a very specific thing. When people walk in and their, their posture is to prove how spiritual they are, not by showing you their fruit, not by sticking around and planting themselves in the body of Christ, but by walking in and telling you how amazing they are and how awesome they are. Listen, if you're a prophet... You don't have to tell people you're a prophet. You just prophesy, and the prophecy is confirmed. If you're an apostle, you don't walk in and say, I'm an apostle. Paul didn't say, I'm an apostle. The, the, the bishops of that movement said Paul isn't a, they gave him that position, amen? You don't give yourself a position. If you do, there's a deceptive spirit that is at work. And I don't care. You, 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 can, you can say this doesn't really mean much to me, Pastor, if you want to. But I'm telling you, we're entering into the last days where people are going to be deceived because they're going to walk into our churches and say, I'm prophet this and I'm bishop that and I'm apostle so and so forth. And they didn't do anything to earn that title. They just gave it to themselves. And some of you, because all you're looking for is signs and wonders, you're going to be deceived. If somebody has to tell you there's something, they probably aren't much. I don't care how well they dress, how spiritual their prayer language. I've seen the telltale signs. They make sure they pray louder than everybody, and it's so eloquent. Every syllable is, you know, they, got the, they even got the King James Version prayer going on. And I'm not against praying good. I'm not. But I can tell when there's something behind it that they're coming in to win the affection and the followership of the people of God. Hey, I'm going to tell you how you win the affection and the loyalty and the followership of the people of God. You come into a church and you plant yourself in the church and you submit yourself to the authority that's in place. Yeah. 
I don't care about any of that, how well they dress, how spiritual their prayer language. When their initial actions are to impress and prove their spiritual status, there should be lights flashing and sirens going off. Something, spidey senses should be going off. Something ain't right here. This person ain't even been in our church for a week and already. I see what's going on. They're telling me about things that are out of order in this church. They ain't even been around this church. And all, here they come trying to straighten out the pastor and straighten out. To, and they, they won't do it to the pastor. They'll go out through the body. Oh, let me tell you about this vision God gave me. Let me tell you about this revelation God gave me. Get yourself planted in the church. I've watched people become mesmerized because somebody shares a prophecy with them that has some truth to it. Like you ever had somebody, you know, this, thus and thus say it, the Lord, and you're like, wow, nobody could have known that. I, I was talking to God about that earlier today. And, and there, you know, I'm not saying that's not right, but I've also, I've watched, I've watched people on television do some of that. They can get attached to a spirit of the, of the enemy can give them revelation about your life. Right? You've seen that on TV. I think they call them psychics and mediums. And they're start telling stuff, and the people, oh, there's no way you could have, you didn't know my dog, Susie. Only, only, God, only, only a spirit, oh, there's no way you could have known that, that Susie wore a yellow collar and barked three times every time I fed her. And then all of a sudden they're mesmerized, and they're going to follow after that person. Listen, don't think just because somebody comes in and prophesies a few things and gets it, that's not the measure of somebody's anointing. The measure of somebody's anointing is, is there fruit of the spirit growing in your life? If the fruit is growing, then I'll stick around to see the gifts. But if there's no fruit, I don't really care. Because the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit operate together. Several years ago, I remember there was a, a movement and the, much of the religious world was flocking to it. They were driving, flying in from miles around. The reason was because gold dust was coming down out of the ceiling. Gold dust was coming down. Well, that must be God, yeah. I mean, I believe God's in some gold. I believe that. If y'all got some, we'll get the offering buckets going around right now. But just because there's gold dust doesn't mean God's in it. Another one that happened a few years before that, everybody in the church was barking like dogs. And people were going and saying, man, that must be the whole, I don't know, to me that doesn't say Holy Ghost. But people were traveling from all around because people were barking like dogs. That must be God. And our humanity, we're so easily mesmerized by a spirit of deception. Let me help you right now. Don't be mesmerized by somebody's self-proclaimed spirituality. You need to investigate and ask yourself, is there fruit? Is there spiritual fruit that is growing? Because if not, if not, in one conversation, the enemy will tear down the spiritual structure that's at place in your life. A, a, a church that you've been a part of for 40 years, a pastor who's been there 15 years involved in your life, and, and not perfect, no, he's not perfect. And we won't take, that's another sermon for another Wednesday, a lot of flaws. But there is some spiritual fruit that you've seen. And in one conversation, if you're not careful, you get so mesmerized that the enemy will tear down the spiritual structure that's at place in your life and begin to elevate himself through another man in your life that isn't even going to stick around. The spirit of deception follows this model. It works to unroot your trust in leadership 
that is truly working to strengthen you. And it will tear down the existing spiritual structure in your life while simultaneously inflating their spirituality. Now listen to me. I know there are some spirits that are at work. And I know that I feel there are some spirits that are going to come against this church that are going to work to do those two things. They're going to work to tear down the existing spiritual structure because they've got a little bit of flash and they've got a little bit of bling to them. And simultaneously, they're going to work to elevate themselves. And they may prophesy and they may get a few things right. But I'm going to tell you, it, it, the, the telltale sign needs to be if they come to you and they start telling you how awesome they are and how they hear from God. Okay? I, don't, I don't want to know how you hear from God. I want to see how you live for God. I want to see how you live for God. I want to see how you live for God. Okay? I'm, I'm trying to help somebody right now. I want, I want to help everybody in this church not to be deceived by this deceptive spirit. And the first question in the Bible, half God said, was meant to plant questions in Eve's mind. Now, I'm going to end with this second question. Let me say one other thing on the first question. Brother Eric, I'm not anywhere near what you did last week. He's like, Pastor, you, I, I was truthful when I said it. All right. <clears throat> Here's one other thing about the serpent. The serpent had nothing good to say about God. Telltale sign is when somebody comes among us and they got nothing good to say. A God that had been good to Adam and Eve. How many of you agree with that? He'd been good to them. I mean, how many of you would love to have their situation? A garden where everything they needed grew on trees, really did grow on trees. All they did was to tend it and have dominion over it. He put them in the garden, supplied them with everything they needed, walked with them in the cool of the day. God had been good to them. Yet all Satan did was point out the negative. Right? And if you want to spot a spirit of deception, just listen for the critical tone. They'll point out all the things wrong in the church. I'm not saying churches don't have flaws. But how many of you appreciate somebody in your personal life that all they do is point out your flaws? Well, your ears are a little big. You know, you could probably use to lose a few pounds. I mean, those are the kind of people you want around you? No. All right. Just listen for the critical tone. They'll point all the things wrong in the church. There's heresy here. There's carnality there. And at the same time, promoting how they would do things different. Well, if I, Absalom, if I were the pastor... That brings up a good question. If you have so much knowledge and anointing, why aren't you pastoring somewhere? Because you like the admiration but not the responsibility. So rather than you doing the hard work of earning the trust of people, you come and destroy what somebody else has taken time to build. If I... If I were the youth pastor, if I were over the ladies' ministry, if I were, if I, if I, if I. The first question is asked from a standpoint of cynicism, seeking to uncover sinister motives. Can I tell you, not, sometimes we just do dumb things because we're dumb people. It's not because we have bad motives. We just made some bad decisions. But when you, when you get around voices and they're always trying to uncover sinister motives, I don't know if we can really trust this pastor. I don't know. I don't know if we can really. That praise team looks a little shady to me. That Maddie up there on the keyboard, she looks a little shady. I don't know. 
That's a spirit of deception. But I want to end with the second question. Maddie, since I just talked about you, come play the keyboard. You can stand with me. Just a few verses later in Genesis 3 and 9. The Lord God called unto Adam and said, where art thou? There's a difference between the first question and the second question. The first is a spirit of deception. The second is a spirit that leads to revelation. The first question is seeking to find ulterior motives. It's undermining. It's trying to overthrow. But the second is seeking to heal and restore. God walks into the garden in the cool of the evening and says, Adam, where are you? Because I want to restore relationship with you. I want, I want revelation. I want you to know that I'm not just a God that operates in a perfect garden, but I'm a God of mercy. I want to bring revelation to you. Amen. Not that cynical, but a, 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 a question that seeks closeness and relationship. Listen, if, if you're going to fall into a pattern of questioning, make sure it's the second question that was asked in the Bible. God, I just want to know, how can I get closer to you? Lord, I'm hungry to learn. I'm hungry to grow. I'm not here, God, to be cynical and question everything that's going on. It's okay to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. Tell your neighbor it's good to ask questions. But be careful that you don't allow a deceptive spirit to get in there and begin through cynicism and skepticism to begin to remove the spiritual authority and the spiritual structure that you have established in your life. So I want us with that second question in mind to raise our hands. God, we want to get closer to you, Lord. I want, I want to seek after you, Lord, because the more that I seek you, the more that I find you. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me more than ever before? God, I'm asking you to guard this people of God. I'm asking you to guard the very elect of God that are in this building tonight. I pray that when the enemy comes, Lord, with signs and wonders, he becomes, he comes in through a spirit of deception, Lord. I, I ask that you would guard our hearts and minds. I, I ask you, Lord, let us not be led astray by deceptive spirits, but God, give us a hunger to draw closer to you. Give us a hunger to draw closer to the people of God, the body of Christ. I wonder if anybody has any good questions tonight. You just want to come and ask him. God, I want to know you more than I've ever known you before. Lord, I want to draw closer to you than I've ever been before. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke every deceptive work of the enemy. Hallelujah. I know that the wheat and the tares have to grow together. I know that, God. But I'm asking you tonight to spare the very elect. Don't let us be deceived, Lord. Don't let us be deceived by the flash, by the glitz and the glamour. But, oh, God, I pray tonight, Lord, let us be anchored by our hunger, by our desire to know you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.